The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. A special plea to President Trump on North Korea. The news that you haven't heard this week. My lessons from the abortion referendum in Ireland. And Scotland loses its mind with new drinking law. Man stands with America. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. Hello, America. Thank you so much for joining me today. This, of course, is the show exclusive to the Blaze where you come for the accent, but you stay for the principles. We have a jam packed show for you today. I'm so excited to be back talking to you. I want to start today by talking about North Korea. And I'm going to try one more time and make one more plea to your president. And I'm going to make two pleas. I'll make a plea that, you know, would be popular on social media, might get trending and stuff. And then I'll actually make the actual plea. So the plea that, you know, we live in this world where of trash talk and smack talk and, you know, with a bit of attitude. Mr. President, when it comes to North Korea, please shut up. In fact, I'll go one step further. Please order every official that works for you in your administration to shut up. There's the, the, the smack talk. Let's get to the real talk. Mr. President, please have radio silence with the media, with the American people, with everyone when it comes to North Korea. I ask this for two reasons. Because I want to have some real conversations with you today because I'm deeply troubled about what's going on in the world and then what's going on in America because we are heading for troubling times. But I've been following as much as I can stomach the media, the reporting on North Korea. First off, you have this whole summit which is supposed to be happening on June 12th. Is it going ahead? It's going ahead. It's cancelled. Is it going ahead? Is it back on? Mike Wapayo's over there. Officials are over there. It's going good. It's looking good. Is it going on? Is it off? This back and forth, first of all, just on a pure logistic point of view, looks dreadful. It looks really bad. And I'm not saying it's your fault. I get negotiations go, you know, there's twists and turns and there's a power play by both sides. However, the thing which you seem to understand because you've been very um, very forceful in calling out the media and their baloney, is the media want you to fail. The media are... Some of the stuff I have heard the media talk about in Europe, in America, about this deal, it is unbelievable. It, it's like eye-rolling stuff. And we'll get to some of the other eye-rolling stuff. It's Honestly, your media is a joke. And to people who think this is only sudden a recent thing, there have been people calling the media out for 15, 20 years. This is not a recent thing. But it has gone to a whole new level under this administration. The pressure because of the media is on you, Mr. President, to make a deal. The pressure is on you that if you don't come across with a deal, you failed. Which is unbelievable because, let's be honest about this, 
we're not talking about, you know, a deal between, you know, a normal actor who, you know, you just have some fundamental disagreements with. We're not talking about like a deal between America and, let's say, Mexico, where, you know, there's no major war issues. You know, Mexico are not an international threat. Mexico, you know, aren't going, hey, we've got all these weapons. We could, we can hit you from all these, you know, cause all this damage. And we're going to, we could cause all these damage to other countries. We're not talking about two countries with a disagreement. We are talking about a brutal dictator. And the media are totally, I can't even say they're oblivious to it. They're just so blinded. I, I, I know I've heard this term going around, Trump derangement syndrome. It's absolutely true. It is absolutely true. The media are corrupt. So I make it a, a plea to you to stop talking about it. Stop giving them ammunition. Do a radio silence. Because the thing is, you are dealing with a vicious, brutal dictator. North Korea is not a good actor. King Jong-un is not a good actor. There is a chance he is playing everyone. There is a chance he has absolutely no idea or no ambition to make a deal. I'll be honest, full disclosure, I'm very skeptical of him making a deal. I've seen this playbook before. This playbook is not a new playbook. This is not like some master stroke. This is not some like, hey, we, you know, he's, he's going to pull the wool over your eyes. This playbook is very predictable. It's been happening period over long periods of time in different countries, where countries will, will push the boundaries, will go right to that edge of where the world goes, you cannot go any further. And then what they do is they'll have some negotiation. Oh, look, okay, look, we just wanted to advance our nuclear program. We just wanted to make things, or we wanted to make some other advancement. And then when the world goes, you have to stop, we'll pull back for a while, and we'll stop, and we'll just regather our money, and then, you know, we'll, we'll say, look, we'll stop for a while and then you ease up the sanctions and then money starts flowing into the country again. And like this liberal idea or this utopian idea that if we just stop being ourselves and if we just give them a shitload of money, a load of money, if we just give them like pallets of money, they'll all of a sudden forget their evil ways of why they hated us. And they go, oh, America and the world are our friend. Freedom. Oh, I love freedom. I have seen the light. No, it doesn't work that way. Because what they do is they get the money back into their country and they have their money and they're funded. And then what they do is eventually after a period of years, sometimes it's months, they start ramping up and then start getting to that cliff again. And the world goes, oh my God, you can't do this again. Come on, we have this deal. We have this deal. You cannot, you have to abide by this deal. We, 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 we only talk tough. We never do anything. You know, and if you go if you go down the road, we're going to go to the United Nations and we're going to send you a very, very nasty letter telling you how annoyed we are. And then they push it, push it, push it, and push it. And they advance even more. And then the world goes, no, 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 stop. We'll give you more money. We'll ease up the sanctions again. We, we'll be your friends. Come on, be our friend. Be our friend. Come on, come on. We're the same, really. And this keeps going and going and going. This is a playbook that has gone throughout history. Iran is currently using the same playbook. I have my very major doubts where he actually wants a deal. In fact, if I may be blunt, if I was, you know, if I can get my little conspiracy hat on, I think the only reason he's talking, it's not because of President Trump, it's not because of the administration. I think the only reason he's talking is because he wants to get something from America, because America will give money, because Trump and the, because Trump wants a deal, because I, I, Trump has good motives. 
But I think the only reason he's talking right now is because that mountain collapsed. I wonder would he talk right now if those mountains, if that nuclear mountain hadn't gone, become unusable. Now, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you could you could say, John, you're crazy. He, he, this is Donald Trump. Maybe I am wrong. But this is not a slam on Trump, by the way. This is just, this is an evil dictator. This is people who has sex camps, who has concentration camps, who enslaves his own people, who re-educates his own people, who his own people are starving. This is one of, if you were to create a Mount Rushmore of evil despot dictators... Now, obviously, it would have to be more than three people because, you know, I, I would say Mao, Stalin, and Pot would probably be Mount Rushmore. But, you know, if you were to add to it, this guy is there. This guy is in the conversation. He is vile. His family is disgusting. If you're going to take the word of a dictator, be very careful. You know, Ronald Reagan had an old saying, trust but verify. This dictator is playing the media and he is winning because the media are so blinded by their hatred for Donald Trump that they're willing to excuse a despot, a dictator, a sickening person. I have also heard some people, the talking heads in the media, say that all this North Korea summit, you know, the reason it's all badly organized is it's just because he wants to cause chaos to Donald Trump because he's so worried about the Robert Mueller investigation. Now, I'm not going to get into the Robert Mueller investigation. There are plenty of other people who will talk to you about that. But these are some of the excuses I'm hearing. And I'm like, I am literally losing my mind. Look, if you're a long-term listener, you know I'm not Donald Trump's biggest fan. I call balls and strikes. I'm not here to be a fan person or the, the antagonist or anything. I'll say what I say, and it's been consistent for the longest time. I'm not your, 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 hey, Donald Trump is great or Donald Trump sucks. I am here to say when he does good, he does good. When he does bad, he does bad. But you right now, Mr. President, please have a radio silence, even from your administration, from any officials. Because here's the thing. Let's have a conversation about what is there to gain about all this constant updates to the media. If you really, you know, you claim to, you know, really antagonize the media and love the antagonist role, what would annoy the media more? You talking and tweeting about things? Or you actually having a full clampdown on yourself, your Twitter, and every administration official in the White House and the State Department going, you know what, we're not talking. We have no comment at this time. The media would go crazy. The media would go berserk. And then they would do their talking lines and, oh, well, it's not going well. And, oh, my God, you know, he's not talking about it. He's normally all he's talking about. It. Clearly, things are not going well. That's what they would do. And then you, if you actually have conversations behind the scenes, I don't know what the update is. I have no idea. Only you, Mr. President, and the people around you know this. And your trusted advisors. If Mike Pompeo is doing well over there, and if people and officials are doing well, and then you get to actually meet on June 12th, and then you actually get an agreement? How great would it be for you that you could do your victory lap? Then you do your victory lap when you have the deal. And when you start saying, well, we're enforcing it. And then every milestone that you put into that agreement saying, well, look, you know, you have to do certain things by certain periods of time. Every milestone can be your victory lap. Victory lap around the media going, hey, look, you said I couldn't do this. There's the deal. 
and there, it's been enforced. And it's a tough deal. It's a good deal for America and it's a good deal for the world. We have brought North Korea to the 21st century. There's your victory lap. And every time you have a, a milestone, you have another victory lap. And you have, I don't know whether you've thought about this, you have your legacy. You have done something that no other administration has been able to do. They've quietened down North Korea. George Bush did that in 2007. But Obama did absolutely nothing on North Korea. You have something that will last the test of time where you'll be able to say, I brought North Korea to the table. We got a deal. It's now up to the rest of my administration to ensure that deal is is held. And then for the next president to ensure that that deal is kept in place and that we have peace. Because a war with North Korea would be a disaster. Watching the media right now, it's almost like they want war. Either they want Donald Trump to fail or they really want war. Which is truly despicable. It's disgusting. You know, I never, I rarely say these words on the, on the air. But shame on you, media. You are on the wrong side of history yet again. Watching all the media... You know, if you want to be honest, I'm not outraged, or I am outraged a bit, but I'm not shocked by the media's coverage. Because the media has been on the wrong side of history for the longest time. The media has defended the indefensible, or has been silent on some of the most egregious things, including that great, well-respected New York Times. Some of the stuff they were silent on during World War II was shocking. This is their legacy. Their legacy is on the wrong side of history. Their legacy is silence when, it, when their voices are needed the most. The media aren't brave. The media are cowards. The media are not smart. They're just regurgitators. They get the talking lines from the talking people, the talking heads. Oh, that sounds good. That's a great line. I must repeat it. That is not a Donald Trump thing. That's not a 2016 thing. That's not a 21st century thing. That's their legacy. Mr. Trump, consider doing a radio silence and saying nothing. Because the media want you to fail, or they want war, or both. And you were dealing with one of the worst despots in the 21st century. I know he hasn't been in power for the longest period of time. We're not talking about a reign of 20, 30, 40 years of terror. We're talking about his family reign of terror. But his reign is only a couple of years. But he has shown no signs of change. If you want a legacy of peace, how about this? That you brought North Korea to the table and you got the deal. You used the art of the deal, quote unquote. And you got a great deal for America and for the world. And you brought America and the world back from the brink of nuclear war with North Korea. There's a legacy. And that is a legacy that will stand the test of time. Your tweets won't add anything. Your your officials leaking and saying stuff to the media won't add anything. These constant updates and constant discussion. The sad thing is... For the media and the talking heads and a large chunk of society... They are not for anything. They're not for anything. They are just solely against something. 
And this is a bigger picture we need to have a conversation about. Because in the world today, and we've discussed this so many times in the past, it is so easy to be against something. It's the easiest thing in the world to say, I don't like something or I don't want it. That is the sole agenda of so many people right now in America. I'm just anti-Trump. I don't like him. I can't stand him. I hope he fails. I am sick to death of people on all sides of the aisle telling me what they don't like. It is such a waste of air, of airtime, of writing, of all the things you don't like. I am beyond sick of it. Because the truth is, I'm a bit fired up today, so I'm actually saying things I don't usually say if you're a long-term listener. I am sick to death of listening to people telling me what they're against on all sides. Because it adds nothing. It's not intellectual. It's not super smart. Everyone can tell you what they don't like. Anyone can tell you what they don't like. It's the easiest thing in the world. You walk out to any street in America, wherever you're listening, in America, in Europe, in Australia, you walk out into a street to a complete stranger and say, hey, tell me something you don't like, or tell me something you're against, they will tell you. Their answers will be from, I don't like diesel, I don't like meat, I don't like Donald Trump, I don't like politicians, I don't like the media, I don't like guns, I don't like women, I don't like Muslims, I don't like anything. They will range from stuff. It's easy to say what you don't like. I don't like religious people. Y'all are crazy and all you Christians. Tell me what you're for. Takes a bit more intellectual. Takes a little more smarts. Takes a little more thinking. Dare I say it, it takes a little more work. Because when I come back, I want to talk to you about some of the stories that have been going on in your media and what's actually going on in the world. Because it's actually such a contrast right now between what is actually the talking, what the social media is a buzz about, what hashtags are trending, and what the world is actually going through right now. It is unbelievable the polar opposites of what is actually important and what is pure garbage and what is getting all the ratings. Don't go anywhere, America. We'll be right back. Freedom versus freebies. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. The Glenn Beck Program. I expect the media to be anti-Trump, but I am so sick and tired of this media doing anything to discredit Donald Trump. You dare to try to tell us that you're telling us the truth when you come out and say the president is calling all immigrants animals and you're baffled why the American public is turning their backs on you? The Glenn Beck Program. Freedom's Disciple On Demand. On the Blaze Radio Network. Thank you so much for sticking with me, America. As always, I'm on social media, at Twitter, at Freedom Disciples, Facebook, Jonathan Dunn 58 Drop me a follow, send me a message, tell me I suck, tell me I'm a moron. Just don't call me a fat boy, because I've heard that since I was two years old, and it's getting redundant, and hey, I don't care. So, I want to talk to you about the news and what's actually going on in our world right now, so... Full disclosure, I've been actually very quiet for the last couple of weeks because I was on vacation. Um, I went overseas. I went to a place that's supposed to be sunny, but for four to seven days it rained. 
So that, that's just the look I have. At the, I, I go to sunny places and I bring rain. I bring the Irish weather with me wherever I go, and it's just something I can't escape. And then there was a show, and and then uh, last weekend, obviously, it was Memorial Day weekend. I hope you all had a had a beautiful three-day weekend, and you spent a few minutes to remember the, the men and women who have paid the ultimate sacrifice for the freedoms that we enjoy. But the news in your society and in the world is driving me absolutely crazy. So I went away with the intention for, with the vacation of going, you know what, I just want to chill out. I just want to read a book, and I bought Jordan Peterson's book and really enjoying it. And just wanted to just switch off from the news. I didn't want to hear about politicians. I didn't want to hear about phony outrages. didn't last very well. Um, it was just unbelievable. So let's talk about some of the stories that have been going on. That it's just, it's driving me crazy. So that's just, I want to just show you, because i got to be honest with you, the media are a big part of the problem with this, but also the people who are reacting to these stories are equally part of the problem, because this is what is trending on, on, on social media. These are some of the stories from the last 48, 72, 96 hours, okay? So we have the, the, the absolute baloney story of Roseanne Barr, right? She said something absolutely stupid, wrong, crazy, about Valerie Jarris, she got fired from ABC, Rosanna's gone, Rosanna's history is gone. Then you had the whole, hey, I took a pill, I didn't take a pill, I took a pill, I thought she was white, and all these phony excuses, and this is what the media is talking about. This is all the talking about, oh my god, she did this, and now she's, then she quit Twitter, and she didn't quit it for very long, she was back on it, and you, you, if you've been online, you know all the baloney of Rosanna. But this is a story that has been going on unbelievably so. So first of all, do I care about Roseanne? No. Did I did I watch the reboot of Roseanne? No. I can't stand Roseanne. She's a vile, sick, twisted human being. I didn't like Ro- the original Roseanne. I thought it sucked. I thought it was disgusting. Sorry if you liked it. I'm not been bad, but I didn't find it very funny. But this is a person, you know, who has a really bad track record of saying outrageous stuff. Right. So that's the story that got all the news. Can you imagine if all the attention and all the the the, the uproar and all the, the, the trending hashtags and all the tweets and all the, the superstars weighing in on this had actually been given to this story? Now, we know we'd never give it to this story, but let's just start with a, with a pretty big story. So the Israelis, the Palestinians, right? If you remember a couple of weeks ago when Donald, Trump, uh, Donald Trump's administration opened the embassy in Jerusalem and all the media was talking there and you had all the media reports and how the, the people on the Gaza border, they're just really peaceful protests. They're, they're the freedom fighters. They're, they're there saying their rosaries and their novenas and they're blessing themselves. And, and what they're really doing is they're, they're, they're just throwing bottles of holy water at the Jews, you know, just to just to be safe, my brother, just be safe. Because they're peaceful. They're all good people. There's no bad actors and and then those bastards israelis came and then they shot rockets and 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 they're just so evil but all the all the palestinians want this peace they were they were like well the israelis were like had snipers on hills and firing bullets at them they, they were just firing bottles of holy water at them and you know and just saying be safe and i love you my brother Mm. Remember when that was happening two weeks ago and you had all the media roaring and it was disproportionate, you know, there might have been one or two terrorists, sure, but, you know, you don't go kill 60 people. Turns out 50 of them were Hamas, but let's, you know, let's not get facts get in the way of a good story, media, right? 
Well, remember when all that was been covered? Well, that was so two weeks ago. Let's talk about what happened this week. So, a couple of days ago, there was about 100 rockets and mortars fired by the terrorists into Israel. Now, thankfully, you know, there's this great program in Israel called, you know, what's that? Oh, the Iron Dome. You know, that, that wonderful program that, you know, shoots missiles out of the sky. Wonderful program. Awesome program. But also, quite a few rockets landed in Israel. Um, they exploded in Israel. Where's the Where's the media coverage of this? I thought they were all peaceful protests. I thought they were all saying their novenas and and saying you know their their prayers and their call to prayers and throwing holy water and and throwing their Korans at the the Jews. I thought they were all peaceful protests. I thought that's what they were. A hundred rockets in a couple of days. A hundred rockets. Any where's the media? Where's any media? reporting this where is the media sharing a story of how you know how the you know the evil israelis and no one ever cares about the palestinians and the palestinians are just these freedom they just want to get ahead you know not the people at the border the palestinian people they just want to get ahead they just want to have a better life and they're getting all these benefits and you know they're getting cement from the united nations you know they just want to build their houses and they just want to live in peace they're, they're just like you and me Except they've been exploited by Hamas. I'm not going to say it's not the innocent Palestinians. They've been exploited, a, a large chunk of them, by Hamas and other terror, terror organizations. Because you know that cement that the United Nations gives and say, hey, go build yourself, you know, go make yourself a country. You know, go build roads and bridges. You know, the way you had Obama and then Trump said it a few times, you know, where the, America's infrastructure is crumbling. You know, you got cement. They're going to they're gonna do it. Well, the Israelis, you know, because those bad Israelis, they're they just, they're just, they're just so persistent. You know, they just never seem to ch- stop chasing the terrorists. And and they recently made a discovery where they found all these underground tunnels and and the underground tunnels, you know, to get into Israel, so they the Hamas and you know all those pe- freedom loving people, um, so they can get into Israel to convert them. Um, it actually turns out that. Uh, that cement and the the sacks, because they have proof of this now, the 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 sacks um, were laid and in in the tunnel, and they're used to reinforce the terror tunnels. Uh, where's the story about that? Where's the where's the big scoop media? How Hamas are are exploiting? Because you know if you, you okay if you want to use the narrative, the Palestinian people are poor and they're just the average Palestinian is a freedom fighter. Okay, cool. Well, then tell the truth about how Hamas. Have, terror organization to america to europe to japan to egypt to jordan has been classed as a terror organization is exploiting those people and is taking cement given by the united nations to build roads to build bridges to build houses has been exploited been stolen been taken to build terror tunnels where's the media see no one ever cares about that because ah the jews they're just they just deserve everything they get they suck the jews suck the Jews are the problem in this world. You know what? Just maybe, I'm not going to say Hitler was right. Maybe just, you should just move them from the world. This is the world we live in. There are people who actually think this. It is disgusting. But we can get all trendy and get our hashtags about fire Roseanne or save Roseanne or, you know, Roseanne was innocent. She took a pill. Or we can actually talk about what's going on in Israel. You know, last time I checked, Israel was an ally of America. 
You know, last time I checked, if you actually believe in democracy, let me talk to you. Let me talk to people who are not Republicans, who are liberals. If you believe in that bastion of democracy, if you believe in equal rights, then you should be supporting Israel. Not Hamas. If you believe in, let me say, oh, gay rights, you should be supporting Israel. Not Hamas. You know, Hamas... You know, certain parts of Muslim culture throw gays off buildings. But, you know, let's not talk about that. Let's talk about how, John, you, you're an evil Christian. You're just as bad as the Jews. You, you won't let them get married because I'm the, I'm the real problem in the world. We're in a situation where Israel has got a hundred rockets in the last 96 hours. No one's covering it. No one cares because it doesn't serve a narrative. It doesn't serve an agenda. But, yeah, let's go on talk about Roseanne. Next story I want to talk to you about. So then the right, the left got its pound of flesh with Roseanne. It was cancelled. It was cancelled in, I, I don't know, I'm going to say record time, but it felt like it. So Roseanne was cancelled, and the left got their pound of flesh, and then Samantha B went and said some, I'm not, I, can't, I don't think I can repeat the word, nor would I, it's not a word I ever use. It's a disgusting word. You, you can Google what Samantha B said. And everyone on the right got wanted to get their pound of flesh. We need to cancel her. She needs to apologize. She needs to be canceled. She needs to be removed off the air. All our sponsors need to go. And all this big hashtag, you know, all these big, you know, Samantha B sucks or Samantha B is okay. You know, I heard all these tweets. Or sorry, I didn't hear all the tweets. I saw all the tweets online from the left defending her. You know, well, you know, if, if only, you know, she had said grab something by the P, it would have been fine. But, you know, because she used that word, it's wrong. Where's the moral outrage, the double standards of the right? And we have all these phony hashtags and all these movements and everyone's outraged. The IMF came out with a report about a week ago. And it's a very interesting report. Because in that report, it said, you know, the world debt... You know, the, all the debt the world owes, the countries and individuals and people and business, the, all the debt in the world. Oh, it, it just happens to be a new record. But don't worry, it's, 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 not, a, it's not a large amount. It's, it's only a couple of million, billion, trillion, what's the difference at this point? You know, all, all we're talking about is an M, a B, you know, an M, a B, or a T. It's, you know, every other letter is the same. You know, it's, it's, they're all the same, right? Million, billion, trillion, what's the difference? But the, the world debt came out, and it's $164 trillion. <laughs> $164 trillion. This is a record, by the way. Just to put this into context, because sometimes people don't... I, I honestly think when we just say words... When, if I say to you $164 million, $164 billion, or $164 trillion, I don't think people understand the difference. So let me explain this to you. One trillion has 12 zeros. 12. 12 zeros. Just think about how much of that debt you owe. 12 zeros. So write down this number on a piece of paper. 164 and 12 zeros. Because that's how much the world debt is. Let me explain this to you in another term, right? So let's say you had a utopia, right? Where everyone, from the richest to the poorest, every cent you earned was taxed at 100%. Right now, I don't know what you'd live on. It would cause major, major problems. Well, let's just let's just play. We're living in utopia, right? Where you living in utopia? Every cent was taxed at one hundred percent, one hundred percent. Everything went to the government. It would take not one year, not even two years. It would take approximately two years and three months of one hundred percent tax on everybody to clear all the debt. 
That is the level we are at. That is the level of debt we are at in the world. The IMF in this report came out and said, you know what? The, the global economy looks pretty good for about two years. About two years is pretty good. You know, give or take 2020. Then we're in problems. This report also said, you know what? The problem with this debt is so big for countries and people is that if we have another financial crisis, I don't know how we're going to survive. Now, bear in mind, this is the IMF. This is They sugarcoat things. They tend to go, look, everything's going to be fine. Yeah, I know the world is burning. But look, the flames are so cute. They're gorgeous flames. They're wonderful flames. They're huge flames. This is the IMF. They have an agenda. Because they're the ones who want to spread socialism around the world. So they can't come out and say, you know what? All these countries who are socialists and have big government programs um, are the, the, the problem. They can't come out and say that. They have to put a rosy picture on it. But the IMF said, you know what? Two years, we're okay. In two years, we're totally screwed. Because debt is just out of control. Third story I'd love to tell you about. So the outrage. The outrage. Oh my God. Donald Trump is meeting. I'm going to get this wrong now because I, did, I, can't, I didn't do the... I can't remember the name. What, what Kardashian is she meeting with? Chloe, Kim... Kanye, one of the, one of the, it's not Kanye actually, it's the, it's the girl. She's on the show. Google it, you'll know who it is. But oh my God, she's he's meeting with one of the Kardashians. They're they're gonna talk about prison reform. I'm not gonna say anything about this, but the outrage, the the stories were unbelievable. The the, the the comments were like, why would she meet with him? Why would she meet with him? Oh, I know this is a this is a master stroke by Trump. This is by the left, by the way. That's a master stroke by Trump. This is yet another diversion. He would do anything to get people talking about anything but Robert Mueller because he's guilty. He, he's so guilty. He he should be hung from a yardarm for treason. But we'll be silent on Hillary Clinton having email servers in a, in a, you know in a, in a shed in a basement. Totally fine. We'll be silent on Hillary Clinton having you know emails actually declassified that were classified so she could look at them and on her private email. We'll forget all that. We'll be silent on that. But Donald Trump, oh he. Should should be hung he should be hung he's just totally just just distracting and i don't know why that kardashian would meet with him why would she help the president oh my god in all these stories let me tell you another story italy is in crisis right now italy is on the stage of going in major problems why is italy having major problems there are many things corruption's one of them Italy's having major problems because all the politicians have so sold out their credibility to the people, the extremists have risen. The story in Europe right now, and I've been, ta- I've been talking about this for a long time, I really fear for Europe. I fear for Europe because there are no voices of freedom. It is one extreme or the other. And politicians don't understand this, or they don't care, or they are have personal motivations to ensure the chaos happens. Because they know when chaos happens, government increases its power. You have the story of Tommy Robinson in the UK. And we're going to come back to all these stories. But what you have is a system in the UK where everyone's outraged by it. Now, I'm no legal expert, so take this with a grain of salt. But a lot of the laws with the exception of being tried and convicted so quickly, you know, those laws are pretty much on the books all the time. England's a different culture. But the outrage shouldn't be for Tommy. The outrage should be at the laws. But it's so much easier to be outraged for Tommy. 
and all these people saying, I am Tommy. In the situation, and we're going to talk about this in the next segment of what we are for. The situation in Europe is there are no good actors. There are no actors. If you believe in limited government and you believe in freedom and you pretty much believe in just leave the individual the hell alone, there is no one to show for in Europe. You have extreme left and you have extreme right. You have people who have been pushed into a corner. And whether the liberals know this in Europe, the lefties, the socialists, the utopians, they're actually causing all these problems by their outrageous behavior. Because you have a situation in the UK, the Tommy Robinson case. You have a situation in the UK where every average person, regardless of your race, regardless of your background, regardless of your your religion, regardless of your income, regardless of any upbringing, regardless of any characteristic that we love talking about in society, your sexuality, any of those, regardless of it. If you share the case details of what they're doing to these young kids, everyone will be outraged going, that's wrong. This is not anti-Muslim. This is just anti-human basic rights. It's a disgusting story. But the media are just like, no, you can't talk about this. Oh, no, no, no. It's a, it's, a, it's a Muslim person. You can't do this. No, 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 no. Pakistani Muslim. No, no, no. You can't talk about this. So then people are like, well, someone's got to talk about it. And the extremists rise up. The extremists rise up. And they rise up and get power because they base their extremist views in, an, in a kernel of truth. That kernel is, that, that story is outrageous, which it is. It's horrific. It's wrong. It's vile. It is sick. But then they all wrap their agenda in it. And there are no sane voices. When your choice in Europe is, and I quote, the hooligans versus the Islamists, which side do you choose? Because so many people believe there is a binary choice of, well, you got to choose one, or one's the lesser of two evils. If it's the hooligans versus the Islamists, who do you side with? That is what is happening in the world. Now, can I, the reason I share these three stories, one is because I'm a big supporter of Israel. I know a lot of people don't like that. I'm a very concerned about the world debt, and I have been for a very long time, and because I believe in freedom. Can you imagine if we could get 1% of the energy and the tweets that Roseanne got, that Samantha Bee got, and that, that Kardashian girl got onto real issues? We are living in a culture which is facing major, major obstacles. And no one wants to talk about them, or very few want to talk about them. We want to be outraged. That is all we want to talk about. It's Roseanne. Samantha Bee. We need to change this. When I come back, I want to talk to you about what happened in Ireland last weekend with the abortion referendum and a couple of things I have learned that I've been saying for a long time that if you believe in freedom, we need to start doing it. Don't go anywhere, America. You're listening to Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. On demand on the Blaze Radio Network. Thank you so much for sticking with me, America. 
as always this show is on every major platform please consider sharing with a, a friend or a family member we're on SoundCloud iTunes iHeartRadio Google Play Music Stitcher and Omni FM um, please please consider sharing it we really appreciate we're growing and I, I, I'm beyond thankful for you for that so last week and I don't want to get into the, the abortion issue too much um, because I've, I've spoken about life a lot over the last couple of weeks and I'm sure some of you are, are bored about hearing about an Irish guy talk about how critical life is, but it's it's such a critical issue. But last weekend, the Irish people got together and they voted, and they voted overwhelmingly to allow abortion. The vote was over 66% yes. It was a landslide. It was a crushing. Our country, Ireland changed. You can feel the difference. Ireland changed that weekend as those results. And everyone was cheering and laughing and joking and thinking this is wonderful and how wonderful it is. Then you had all the talking heads on the media, you know, do the the usual political analysis. Well, well, what political leader gained most from supporting abortion? It's wonderful, isn't it? These are the discussions that Ireland had last weekend and have had ever since. It's a great day. It needs to be pushed through because it got such an overwhelming mandate. I hear talking heads on the media going, isn't it amazing how Ireland has changed in the last 50 years? How how people are looking at Ireland so much more differently now. How we're so much more progressive. Isn't it wonderful? You know, 50 years ago, we were a dull, boring, conservative country. And, you know, no one looked to us for anything as a world leader. Now we are a world leader. You know, we were the, the first to legalize gay marriage. We were the first to bring in a smoking ban where you can't smoke in places of work. And we're now the first to legally vote for abortion. How wonderful are we? We are a world leader. We are leading the world. How great are we? We are so liberal. We are so progressive. We are on the cutting edge. Wonderful, isn't it? So let's talk about what I learned from that referendum. I'll be honest with you, the result doesn't shock me. You know, I I said to some people privately, and uh, they were asking me what was I thinking, and some people in America were asking me for updates, and I went, honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if it cracked 60%. They're like, no, no, it can't be. I went, I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised if it went actually higher than 60%. I'm not trying to say that I was a Glenn Beck prediction or I'm super smart. I just knew what the ground was saying. I just knew the feel of it. The analysis from some of the more secular people is that this result is the end of Catholicism in Ireland. That they have so linked life to Catholics, to the Christian church... And that this is a, the debt note, this is Ireland's, uh, you know, filing for divorce. So here's some of the things I want to talk to you about. If you want to just step away from the issue and be absolutely honest about it, forget the emotions of the issue if, if you can for a minute. And I know it's hard because it's such a serious subject. The abortion people played the election and the build-up to the election, and all their work in the lead-up to the election, perfectly. Absolutely perfectly. Because, if I may use something that Margaret Thatcher once said, 
to the key, one of the keys to success, they follow the to a T. Margaret Thatcher once said, first you win the argument, then you win the election. That is what the abortion people did, and they did it to a T. They won the argument before a ballot was cast. In fact, they actually won the election, quote-unquote, even though it wasn't really an election, it was a referendum. They won it before the referendum was even called. They won the argument. The proof that I can say of this is there was an exit poll done after the election, and it was a it was a quite a sizable amount. It was like four thousand people were thing were inter- interviewed by a research poll uh, at the actual of uh, voters. There weren't you know it wasn't one of these exit polls where people could have voted or didn't vote. They actually voted. Seventy five percent of people surveyed said they knew that the referendum, uh, the build-up, didn't change their mind. They knew exactly how they were going to vote. Now, obviously, some of those people could have been pro-life. I, if I had been interviewed, I would have been one of those 75% because I've been pro-life. You know, there's nothing you can say to me that goes, hey, you know what, maybe abortion mightn't be such a... No, there's nothing you can say to me. I've taught this issue a long time. But the argument had already been won. Abortion... The argument has been won a large, in a large chunk of people's hearts. It's a choice. They don't see it as a baby. They see it as a clump of cells. They see it as a choice to the, of the mother. They had won that argument. And then the referendum came and they knew they were ahead. And then other things happened. And pretty much the pro-life people had to do a miracle or some ungodly presentation somewhere to do a mass appeal or the government had to make some major mistake for the pro-life movement to win. It didn't happen. So abortion was carried 66, over 66, 33. They won the argument. The second thing that I learned, and again, this wasn't a shock, Was your credibility matters? Now, before I say what I'm about to say, I say this as a Christian. And I say this as someone who used to be a Catholic. The Catholic Church has ruined its credibility in Ireland. The Catholic Church has ruined its credibility with mainstream. It has been helped by the media because the media don't like the Catholic Church. It has been helped by certain other individuals outside who are not Catholics. But a large part of it has done, the damage has been done by Catholics themselves. The large chunk of the damage came when priests did unhumane things to little boys. And when the Catholic Church either were silent or covered it up, or in some cases defended it. Their credibility was shot with the mainstream people. When you defend that, or when you're silent on a priest who has done barbaric things to an innocent little boy, why should I ever listen to you on any issue of substance? The third thing on the Catholic Church was over here, the pulpits have gone quiet. I used to go to a Catholic church. And if you've ever been to Mass, 
in in a Catholic church. It's it's very regimented. There's you open with prayers, and then you have a you have a reading from the Old Testament. You have a reading from the New Testament. You have a reading from from the Gospel. You have a sermon, then you have a load more prayers, and you you say your communion, and then you have a few more prayers, and you leave. Very, it's all the same. The sermon is the one part that changes because it changes from week to week. It changes from priest to priest. It's at their discretion, quote unquote, to you know share what's on their heart or to give a thing. In the Catholic Church, I go to, I used to go to. I go to on a very rare occasion now. The sermon isn't judged by what it's spoken about. The sermon isn't judged on the passion that it's given with. The sermon isn't judged by the person it's given by. The sermon is judged by how long it takes. That's what a sermon is judged by. I'll listen to you for a few minutes, but don't go on and on about me. It has to be quick and snappy. And most people during the sermon are reading a newsletter. So the pulpits have gone quiet and they've lost their meaning. Why am I sharing all this with you? Because you're like, John, This is that's the Irish referendum. I'm sorry about it. And I'm sorry Ireland's gone down this. But why are you sharing this with me? I'm an American. Or I, I don't live in Ireland. This doesn't affect me. I'm sharing this with you because we can learn lessons from it. We are living in a world that is equally hated and haunted by what's going to happen. Shared some of the stories with you in the previous segment about what's happening in Israel, what's happening in North Korea, what's happening in Europe, what's happening with world debt. We are living in a world where we are going to face major obstacles. And we are not prepared for it because we don't discuss them, we don't talk about them. We just get outraged. Or we are so good at telling people what we don't like. I don't like you. I don't like this. It should be banned. I don't like the way you do things. We live in a culture where we are all so political. It's all about winning, quote unquote. Winning the next election. That is all we ever seem to care about when we talk about politics. We need to start winning arguments. And we need to start making the case of not what we are against, but what we are for. You know, I was talking to a friend the other day, and I was like, I was talking about how I'm going to prep this show, and I was like, I feel like, I don't know, I, I, I wish I could tell you, you have the answers. This is the frustrating thing for me. I am so honored and humbled to be behind this microphone to talk to you every week, but sometimes I'm like, how do I tell you the answers to make a difference? Because the answer is the same. The answer today is the same as it was yesterday, as it was the day before, as it was three weeks ago, three months ago, three years ago, three decades ago. The answer is freedom. The answer is what your founders were so smart by. Your founders were exceptional for a reason. There isn't one problem we face today that you cannot solve by understanding what the founder's vision for man was. Not America for man. Because they said rights came from your creator. They didn't say all American rights from America's creator. They said for all men. We need to start making the case for life, for liberty, for the pursuit of happiness, for leaving people to hell alone. 
for limited government. And we not only need to make the argument for it, win the case for it, and supporting evidence for it, but we need to start winning those arguments. And we need to start winning them on all sides. Because it's easy to say, oh, I'm a constitutionalist. I'm, I'm a constitutionalist, John. Have you, when was the last time you read the Constitution? When was the last time you understood the Constitution? When was the last time, let me ask you a question which I'd love to know the answer for. When was the last time Congress did something constitutional? When was the last time they passed the bill they actually had the, ream to, the remit to pass? When was the last time they passed a bill that was included under Article 1, Section 8 of the Constitution? And when you look at all the bills they have, well, in this Congress hasn't passed that many, but go through the last 10, 5, 10, 1 year, 2 years, 20 years, and look at all the bills they passed and see how many of them are actually constitutional. We need to make the case. We need to win the argument and not look for the media to win the argument and not look for the, the politicians to win the argument. We need to win the argument among our friends and among our neighbours. Of why freedom is the ultimate reward. Why freedom is man's best experiment. That isn't even man's. We need to start telling people what we are for. But we also need to understand that everything we do in our life, no matter how big or how small, it is critical we do it with credibility. Because a time is going to come, whether you believe me, if you don't believe me, if you think, oh, there's John with his tinfoil hat and his conspiracy theories again, listen to the IMF. The IMF are hardly conservative, freedom-loving people. They said this world is okay for about two years in the world economy, but in two years we are in major trouble. That's the IMF. We need to have credibility so that when we start sharing things and when we start making the argument, we have credibility because we have always acted. What was that thing your founder said at the declaration? Oh, yes, honor. That's sacred. We cannot blow our credibility, even on something that seems so good, that's short term. We need to have credibility. We need, if you're a Christian, if you're a Jewish person, if you're an atheist, you must act with honor. It's easy to talk principles. It's easy to say what you are for. You must live that life as well. We need to start making the case for freedom, for limited government, and for leaving people to hell alone. Because if we don't, the world is going to face all these problems, and we're going to be too busy about, oh, did you see what late, did you see what Roseanne tweeted over the weekend? Did you see, did you see what Samantha B said on our show? No, I don't care. I care about much more serious issues. I care about issues that I don't know actually affect me and affect my way of life. We need to start sharing why America was exceptional, why America is different to the rest of the world, why you have had success that is unparalleled, that the more people than people in Ireland, people in Europe, the people in England, people in Australia. Why is America exceptional? Why is America different? It's different because the America is an idea. Yes, it's a landmass, it's a country we can identify, but America at its very core is an idea, and we need to start sharing that idea. We need to start sharing it to liberals, we need to start sharing it to socialists, we need to start sharing it to republicans, and we need to start sharing it to republicans and conservatives and libertarians. We need to start sharing it again with everybody, because it is a powerful idea. 
It is a powerful idea. It is saying to any individual, I don't care your race, your color, your background, your education, your sexuality. I don't care. You could be gender fluid. You could be a hippie. You could have you could have hair that's the color of the rainbow. You could have 20,000 different piercings in your face. You could sleep with men. You could sleep with women. You, you could sleep with everyone. You could sleep with no one. You could be having you know virtual stuff on the internet. You, it doesn't matter. You could be rich. You could be poor. The only limit you have in life is the one you set yourself or the one you accept someone else sets for you. It's an empowering message. We need to share that. We need to win that argument. That you don't need some politician in government. You can do it. Don't always look for someone else to do it. You can do it. And if they don't believe they can, encourage them, inspire them, empower them. To say, yes, you can. There is nothing holding you back. And if you happen to listen to this message and you're American, you go, you have the history to prove it because you're an American. You have that legacy of your father's generation, your grandfather's generation, your great-grandfather's parents' generation. Look at everything they overcome. There was a time in this world when people said to me, when would a laugh that you said, if you're going to go, to, I'm going to go to the moon, they would have said, are you crazy? Americans went to the moon. There would have been a time if you had said, you know, I'm going to win the Cold War and not a missile is going to be fired. Are you crazy? That's what you did. There's going to come a time in this world where people would have said, I'm going, to, I'm going to have a production line and cars are going to replace the horse and cart. Are you crazy? Are you, oh my God, you are so stupid. Look what happens. There's going to be a time where there's going to be this great technology called the internet where people, you can listen to an Irish guy who's absolutely crazy 6,000 miles away telling you how great your nation is. You're crazy, that'll never happen. No, no, listen to that guy. Well, it turns out quite a few of you do. That is the why. That is your legacy. That is the American legacy. It is a, a history of making the impossible possible. We need to start sharing that message because it is a powerful message and it needs to be heard and today more than ever before. Because here's the truth. The simple choice we all face right now is liberty or tyranny. We are on the path to utopian tyranny. America is, Europe is, the rest of the world is. That is the path we are on. We are facing more issues today with violent, evil dictators like King Jong-un in North Korea, like the Ayatollah in Iran. But we have the power, we have the message, we have that idea that is America, and we have the technology and the innovation for people that can overcome us, where we truly can be the freest generation that has ever lived if we are just willing to work for it, if we are just willing to sacrifice for it, if we are just willing to put our petty differences aside and all our little outrages and say, well, you're different to me. doesn't matter. We're all on the same side. We're all part of the human race. Now let's get for, dare I say it, let us progress forward to a freer tomorrow. Let us actually progress. Let us not look back like progressives do to man controlling other man. That is the problem and the solution that we face today. But we must start winning the arguments and we must do it with credibility. And our credibility is on the line in everything we do, no matter how big or how small that action is. We must be people who think honor is sacred. When we come back, I want to share a couple of stories with you from Europe. I know this day has been a heavy show, but just some lighter stories of what's going on over here. It's so funny. Don't go anywhere. America, we'll be right back. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn. 
on the Blaze Radio Network. Pat Gray. Yeah, Cruz. Mm-hmm. Mike Lee. Ben Sass. Mm-hmm. Rand Paul. Mm-hmm. Marco Rubio. Yeah, there's that guy in Idaho, Rish. I was just going to say, yeah. My gosh, Tim Scott, South Carolina. No, Tim Scott's pretty good. Okay. All right. And done. And one. now we're done. Okay, okay so we got a whopping six yeah! senators. Six. Out of 100, we got six. Pat Gray. Weekdays from noon to 3 Eastern. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. Freedom's Disciple, On Demand, on the Blaze Radio Network. Thank you so much for sticking with me, America. So I want to share a couple of stories with you from over here, just so you can have a bit of a laugh at Europe, and also maybe to use this as a warning sign of what is going to come. So the first story I want to share with you is actually a pretty funny story, um, just to make you laugh, because I know today's been a heavy show. and So you know the way some people, I never get this idea of people when they don't like something, they seek to ban it. It just, it's, it, I find it intellectually lazy. It's like, oh, I don't like this, ban it. I don't like, ban it. I don't like something so no one else can have it. It's kind of, it's intellectually lazy, but also I think there's some like superiority complex or maybe there's some psychological disorder in the head where it's like, I'm just so more important that I don't like that, ban it. I don't like it, you can't have it. No one can have it. But, you know that you know that word I can never say the word millennials millenniums millennia you know that word you know the word I'm trying to say they have a latest call to ban something and it's it's because it causes them anxiety it causes them a lot of pain and a lot of distress the thing they want to ban voicemail so apparently you know when you phone someone and they don't answer which is always hilariously funny they don't answer no one ever answers my calls don't answer and you leave them a message. Hey, it's me. Hey, it's crazy Irish man. Call me back. A lot of people don't even listen to it. A lot of people don't listen to it because they have, it causes them severe distress and anxiety. This is the world we live in. If a voicemail causes you stress and, desi- and anxiety, I'm not mocking you. I'm just, I'm just going to give you a spoiler alert. You can switch the voicemail off. In case you didn't hear that. You can switch the voicemail off, dummy. Um, this is a world we live in. And everyone just wants to ban everything. I want to talk to you about a serious story, though. Because our friends in Scotland have lost the plot. Our friends in Scotland. So a lot of people, a couple of years ago, I remember when Scottish was, Scotland was having its referendum. The one thing you, you Americans need to learn. If there's a spoiler alert I can give you about America. It's this. Sorry, not about Europe. If you think something sounds like freedom in in Europe, take it for it doesn't. Just a little spoiler. Just remember when Scotland was having this referendum to to leave the United Kingdom? Some of my American friends, oh, that's great. Scotland are going to be free. You know, it's going to be like Braveheart again. Freedom! Now, Scotland is a utopia, whether it's part of the United Kingdom or not. There is no freedom movement in Europe. There is no true freedom movement in Europe. So Scotland is the 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 head of Scotland, who isn't really like a prime minister because Scotland is still part of the United Kingdom. Nicola Sturgeon is crazy. 
She's like Bernie Sanders, Hillary Clinton combined. She's now calling for another referendum to to leave. She she's laying the groundwork. She she's she's one of these people who you know I'm going to keep calling for a referendum until I get the election I want. That's just the way politicians work. But they've come up with this wonderful idea, you see, because they they did this report in Scotland, and apparently Scottish people are drinking too much alcohol. You know, it's it's causing um, too much problems. So what they've decided to do is. We're going to increase the minimum price of alcohol to 50 pence per unit, which is a major increase in for some aspects. For the like the top brands of stuff, it won't really affect it. But you know the you know not everyone can afford top brand stuff, so some of the price changes are astronomical. Let me give you an example. There's a bo- two liter bottle of cider that is pretty popular. It's a you know the just cider it's bargain basement it's not a lease or it's not the cider the upper class would drink you know like me and my my muffin would have on the country stash no just the, the average bog cider that was 199 pound 99 with this new law it will now be five pounds that's a big increase a bottle of whiskey um again bargain basement stuff you know or low level stuff not the the superior stuff it used to cost 10 pound it's now going to cost 14 a bottle of vodka used to cost 9.99 it's now going to cost 13 pounds 13 pence a bottle of red wine used to be 3 pounds 19 it's now going to be 4 pounds 88 so the reason they did this was because a report came out that I'm going to quote this report. The scale of middle-class drinking was laid bare today with figures showing doctors, lawyers, and teachers are more likely to indulge than manual workers. Nearly 70% of people with managerial or professional jobs had consumed alcohol over the past week, according to a major survey. By contrast, the figure for routine and manual workers was just 51%. Um, They also then did this estimate. You know, they just all these people love to pull figures out of their heads. Um, they did a. There was a research done by the University of Sheffield that estimated the proposed minimum price of fifty pence per unit would result in one hundred and twenty fewer alcohol-related deaths every year, and hospital emissions would fall by nearly two thousand percent. Or sorry, not two thousand percent, two two thousand per year. They just pull these figures out, and they're like, "Oh, you said we're going." So, if are you telling me so? If I increase the price of alcohol, and the government gets more revenue, I'll save 120 people, and there'll be two thousand less people in in the hospital. Deal. I get more money. Win win, right? Well, let's actually look at this. Who actually wins from this? Does the consumer win? No. Actually, in fact, the consumer loses because you are basically paying more for something now with this new law than you would have been before and if you're on a budget you're screwed it will always all these utopian policies always hit the you know for people who believe in class system who believe you know lower class middle class and the higher class it's amazing the people who actually believe in this the laws they support actually hurt the lower class quote-unquote or you know the the lowest employee you know it's if you only use the word class, you can use lower class or the you know the the underemployed or the the low income people. They oh their laws always hurt them the most because they have the least to spend. It'll hurt jobs. It will also hurt innovation. So imagine you're a cider company and the bottle of cider, two liter bottle of cider is one pound ninety nine. It's now five pounds. You're a new company going. Why should I? 
bust my gut to give you the best price I can and with the best product that I can when it's just going to go to the tax. You know what? I'll just bring it in and we, I'll just charge a higher level. So the government's going to lose revenue because of that. Rather than me selling it to the, the supermarket for a pound for them to sell at one ninety nine so they can make 50% margin, I'll sell it to the supermarket for £2.50. We'll make more money. And, you know, they'll have to sell it at £5 anyway. But also, there's a funny story here. And the reason I share this is because, you know, try and lighten up, finish the show on a funny note for you. There is an unintended consequence of this. So, you know, the people who believe in government, they, you know, believe in this policy. I'm sure a large chunk of them also believe in man-made global warming. You know, we're the cause of the problem. We're the problem. We just suck, right? We, we are the problem. Well, there was this guy called Craig Mitchell, and I don't know how they found this out. I think it was through social media, I'm guessing. But Craig Mitchell lives in Scotland, and he likes this cider. And he likes paying £1.99 for his cider. And he said, you know what? I think this is ridiculous. I think it is ridiculous me paying £5 a bottle. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take, get in my little car... And I'm going to drive 100 miles to just south of the English border in a place called Carlisle. And what he did was he loaded his car up with cider. It cost him, it cost him a bit more in, in England. It cost him £2.15 instead of £5.75. So he saved £3.50, 60 a bottle. But he drove 100 miles and then 100 miles back. That's unnecessary carbon emissions. That's unnecessary fuel. He, you, by this policy, you have added to man-made global warming. (gasps) Oh, my God. And this is just one person. Can you imagine if people continue to do this? They also did up the the analysis. It was better off for him to do it. Because he traveled, it was 103.6 miles exactly from his house to where he went to. So he's traveled 207.2 miles. Um, He bought 50 bottles of the cider. Cost him £107.50. In Scotland, the... That price would have been £287.50. And they record about £70 worth of fuel. But even with that, he still saved £110 by driving 200 miles. And adding all that pollutant, all that carbon dioxide to the environment. Just so he could have a cider. There is another impact this has. All these policies do one thing. It makes you dependent on government. You see... While Hillary Clinton in America got lambasted for her comment that, you know, government is ultimately the parent and it takes a village to raise a child and the role of the parent is secondary. Over in Europe, that's the way we live. Government is our parent. And it's more of a parent than our actual parent is. They're the ones, the moral arbiters of society who say what can and can't happen. And it can happen at any time. They take any policy they want. And if it grows government, it grows government revenues, and it quote-unquote saves people, they will do it. Now, am I defending, am I making light of alcoholism for anyone who listens to going, oh, there's John, alcoholism, alcoholism is a serious issue. I know. My boss is an alcoholic, Glenn. If you listen to him, you know his story. Alcoholism is a very, very, very serious thing. It is not to be mocked. It's not to be joked about. However, where is the responsibility? If you're an alcoholic, who is the responsibility on? 
If you have ever been around an alcoholic or you ever hear it or you ever do research on Alcoholics Anonymous and the 12-step program, I've yet to hear about this 12-step program that said, and government will solve your alcoholism. No, it's about personal responsibility. We have major problems in our society, as I spoke about for the rest of the show. Who's going to deal with them? Alcoholism is a serious, serious issue. And I hope anyone who is an alcoholic or is hopefully a recovering alcoholic is getting the support they through themselves, but through their family, through their friends, through their church. That is where support comes from. This policy will change absolutely nothing. All it will do is will hurt the, the poorest in society because they will either... Uh, you know, buy the alcohol that they need if they need it or want it and deprive themselves of something else just so the government can get more money or they won't drink it. Or there's option C, which the unintended consequence of this policy will cause. You'll have what America had in so many places is what you had during Prohibition. You'll have old bootleggers. This... If you believe in just doing things and you don't care about laws, this will create a new market for undercover drinkers. For undercover, you'll be able to go to someone. Someone will basically hire a truck and or a big van and go buy a load of alcohol south of the English border. We'll drive up and then you'll buy it from the back of a truck. And while that never seems like major a problem, usually the people doing this are not good folk. They're gangs. So your money will be funding gangs. Your your money will be funding bad people doing bad things in your neighborhood. But because of a government tax, what other option have you got? This is what's going on in Scotland. Also, this will cost jobs. That is the other problem, which is sad. This will hurt the Scottish economy. It will hurt it so much because so many people will be put out of jobs. If you're, if you're, a, if you're a, which some businesses admitted they did when this policy came in in south of England, they ordered like they quadrupled their order of beer of certain beers because they knew they were going to go sales through the roof. It will create jobs in England, but if you're like an ASDA or a Sainsbury's, like think of their um, like the Kmart and the Walmart of and Sam's Club of Amer- of, of Scotland and England. If you're that one of those shops, how are you going to compete? Eventually, your alcohol section is going to be destroyed, especially the cheap alcohol section, where you sell a lot of it. So you're eventually going to maybe have let people go. The drivers who drive the alcohol to your store maybe have to let people, you know, they're going to have to let go because there's just not demand. All in the name of saving lives, you've cost people their livelihood. And if this policy keeps getting worse... We need to make the case for the free market. We need to make the case for personal responsibilities. And we need to make the case for freedom. Because this policy could happen anywhere. This could po- policy could happen in England. There used to be, they used to call it the, the Calais Cruise. England used to have major, um, with the exchange rate, used to be expensive alcohol. And people used to get the ferry over to France, literally chuck their, their car up or their, their van up or their truck up and then bring it back. They used to do that on a regular basis. They don't do that anymore because they don't need to. 
these every politician and every law that politicians make has an unintended consequence. Who do you empower? Politicians will always seek to empower themselves to grow their revenues so that they can spend more on utopian programs that will ultimately fail. Or do you empower people? Do you empower people to take responsibility for their lives? That is ultimately the only the only question that ever matters. If you ever want to boil down principles of freedom to one question, to explain, you know, what you stand for or what I stand for, to or to explain the difference between utopia and freedom, or liberty and tyranny, you ever want to explain it in simple one question: Who do you empower? I will always choose to empower the individual where possible, as many times as possible, and as much as possible. For a large chunk of Americans today, because of Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton and other Republicans, for a large chunk of 99% of Europeans and English people, they will always choose to empower government. They will choose to empower government for two reasons. One, it's just the way everything is always done. That's all I know. Government has always been empowered. I see a problem in society. That's government's role to fix it, right? And two... And I don't know how much this is, you know, evenly distributed, but there is also a, they don't understand, they don't see anyone else who can step up. They go, okay, so you say, John, so government shouldn't do it, who should? We need to have the answers for that. It's not okay to say, I want limited government and I don't want government doing ABC. Okay, well, whose responsibility is it to do it then? We don't paint that picture well enough for people who are just new to the freedom movement or are curious about the freedom movement. They just see government. They see government as the only answer. We need to do our best to paint a picture, say, no, there are other other options and that another way of life is possible. I really hope today's show has given you something to think about, something to ponder about. Please consider sharing it with your friends or your family. If you happen to live, listen on iTunes, please consider leaving us a review. We really appreciate it. We're live every Saturday noon at 12 noon Eastern. No, not live, sorry, the show's released. Uh, on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play Music, iHeartRadio, Stitcher FM, and Omni FM. We finish this show the way we finish it each and every week and each and every time I'm behind the microphone by saluting the real heroes in society, your police, your firefighters, your emergency personnel, and your vets. You know, the men and women who risk it all 24-7 for a safer and brighter tomorrow. And lastly, I salute you, the great American people. Never, ever forget the sentiments of Alexis de Tocqueville. America is great because Americans are good. That's each and every one of you. The answers to the problems that we face is in each and every one of you. Through your, your freedom, through your innovation, through your ideas, through your principles, and to empowering you, we will solve the world's problems. But we must win the argument. Until next Saturday at 12 noon Eastern America, have a beautiful and blessed week. God bless. Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on demand. The Blaze Radio Network. 